Thank you, Tiffany. Yes, I did turn 60. And I live to tell about it, and I'm not all depressed. I'm actually excited about what's ahead, just because I know Jesus. <laughs> and he is good, and his goodness and mercy always follows us. Well, the salesman had me at magic carpet. I was in India in 2014. And um, I was enjoying a day of sightseeing right before our group was about to start the reason for our trip, which was to visit our ministry partners in Western India. And we had just visited the Taj Mahal. And on the way back to our hotel, the bus just mysteriously broke down right in front of a rug shop. <laughs> and so what could we do but get out and go in, right? And uh, the rug shop owner was very happy to welcome us. It was almost like he was expecting us or something. <laughs> and so he led us into this very large room where there were stacks and stacks of very neatly rolled rugs or carpets, as he called them. And then he seated us in, in a line in chairs. There just happened to be enough for us. And uh, he served us some refreshments, which just happened to be on hand. <laughs> and then with great pride and fanfare, he began to unfurl rug after rug in front of us. And so we oohed and we awed appropriately. But one rug caught my eye. And he said, ah, that's a magic carpet. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he nodded to his assistants, and they simply picked up the rug, and they rotated it 180 degrees, and it was a completely different rug. <laughs> it had gone from deep, dark, rich hues to these light, bright hues. And he winked at me, and he said, two rugs for the price of one. <laughs> and I said, sold. <laughs> And you know, I love my magic carpet because it reminds me that perspective is everything. I can turn it around on a gloomy day or a winter's day and enjoy my rug in one way. And then when the mood strikes or the weather changes, I can turn it around and enjoy it another way. Perspective is everything. How you see something deeply affects the way that you live. And, you know, I think that our culture sort of programs us into thinking that our rug should look a certain way, right? I think that we expect certain things out of life, uh, security, safety, stability, comfort, even pleasure. And I kind of think it's hardwired into our DNA as image bearers to expect the world to be beautiful and good. And so when life goes awry, when it doesn't turn out that way, then we get disoriented, we get discouraged, sometimes shaken to the very core of our being, like when our health fails us, or a marriage fails, or we lose a job or a friend, or for whatever reason, life gets monotonous, it just doesn't turn out the way we expected it to, we lose confidence in ourselves and in God. And those are the times we need to turn the rug around and get a fresh perspective. In the crises of life and in the monotony of the everyday, we need a lens through which to think correctly, to, to feel correctly, to see clearly and, and act in ways that line up with who we were made to be. 
Well, we've come to the climax of the story of Jesus. It's actually the climax of the whole Bible. And in fact, it's the climax of human history. What happened in Jerusalem in the year 30 AD changed everything. The rug of human history and the destiny of every person turned the day that Jesus died and rose again three days later. That's why our perspective in life must anchor here. This is the light that guides us in the chaos and darkness of life. And so this morning, I want us to talk about how do we live every day in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so I'm going to talk about each one of those separately. First, we're going to talk about how to live in light of his death. And, and after that, we're going to have a brief time of worship. And I'm so excited that Jason and Crystal are with us. They're going to be leading us in worship this morning. Because I told you from the very beginning that it's not enough just to know stuff about Jesus. It must penetrate our hearts and our imaginations and our emotions and our wills. And music is such a beautiful way to let the truths that have taken root in our minds actually take flight in our souls as we sing to God in worship. And then after we talk about Jesus' death, the, the cross, we're going to talk about how to live in light of Jesus' resurrection. And we'll have another brief time of connecting our hearts and our minds through music. And then finally, we're going to conclude with the joy and the privilege of proclaiming what Jesus has done for us. And I hope that many of you will feel free to briefly share with us what Jesus has done in your life, what he's come to mean to you through this study. And then finally, we will end our time together very appropriately in worship again. So our lesson today began with Jesus' trial before Pilate, in which he was completely exonerated of all legal wrongdoing. Pilate recognized that Jesus had done nothing worthy of capital punishment, which as you know in that Roman culture was death by crucifixion. Now, as I noted in your study, the Bible doesn't give us many details about crucifixion, and probably because its original readers were all too familiar with its horror. It was so horrible that even good, decent Roman citizens would not talk about it in public. It was disgusting to them. Obscene is the word they used to describe it. It was obscene for the torture and the humiliation of it, and it was obscene because of its injustice. Ironically, we're going to see that we live in the light of Jesus' death by cherishing the cross. We cherish the cross by living in the freedom that it bought for us. And so I want us to pick up the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 3, 32. Jesus um, here is making his way toward the hill that will be the place of his horrific death. Pilate, in all his wisdom, though he found Jesus innocent, saw fit to have him flogged and crucified. And so as he's making his way up that hill, he was so weak from that sleepless night and from the blood that he had already lost from a Roman flogging that they had to get a man named Simon to come and help Jesus carry that cross. Jesus was a trembling, bloody mess as he made his way toward that hill that we call Calvary. Verse 32 of Luke 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. You have probably thought at some point, as I have, why did the Son of God have to die like that? It is a question that has caused many to, str- to stumble down through the ages. The Jews found a crucified Messiah scandalous. The Gentiles and people of other religions were and are scandalized by the very thought of a God who would condescend to come to the earth, to condescend to become a man. And not only that, but to die such a shameful, humiliating death for the sake of mere mortals, mere creatures. Atheists are particularly scandalized by the idea of the innocent dying in place of the guilty. And generally speaking, people in our postmodern culture are scandalized by the very idea of sin, much less of judgment for sin. And so as a result, many churches in America have stopped preaching the cross. Theirs is a cleaned up, gentle Jesus who just wants everyone to get along with each other. Can't we just do that? No. The cross speaks to its own necessity. It screams unmitigated evil and injustice and ignorance. The very worst of humanity was on display as Jesus was nailed to that cross and as he hung there until he died. He bore the weight of all of that in his body. It is no wonder that the sun stopped shining that day. It was a sign of God's judgment poured out on his son on our behalf. Just as the scriptures foretold that it would happen. 600 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words describing Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We live in the light of Jesus' death by cherishing the cross Because it not only exposes the horror of our sin, but it exposes the beauty of God's love and grace and mercy and justice who took all of that sin upon himself. The cross is where we personally nail our sins to the body of Jesus and where we personally hear those precious words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive Alice. She didn't know what she was doing. Forgive Susan, Mary, Stephanie, Amber, Linda, on and on. Father, forgive them. And when we hear those precious words and we believe them, then we go free. We are set free from guilt, from shame, from fear, from the lies of condemnation that Satan loves to whisper in our ears 
We are free because we have entered into a personal, dynamic, and eternal relationship with our Savior. We have, in fact, entered into the realm of God, the kingdom of God. Whereas Paul said, the old way of living is gone and the new way has come. We see this in, back in our text in Luke 23, verses 40 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. All that criminal knew was that he was a sinner and that Jesus was the innocent Savior, the Savior who refused to save himself so that he could save others, and it was enough. The moment that criminal died, Jesus welcomed him in paradise because Jesus had gone ahead of him, and Jesus has gone ahead of us to welcome us when the time comes for us to cross over to the other side. The cross is how we know how deeply God loves us, how deeply he hates our sin. God both judges us and redeems us at the cross. That is the scandal and the beauty of it. Let's join our hearts and minds together as we worship God in the truth of that. Go on up to the mountain of mercy To the crimson perpetual tide Kneel down on the shore Be thirsty no more Go wander and be purified Follow Christ to the holy mountain Sinner sorry and wrecked by the flood Cleanse your heart and your soul In the fountain that flows For you and for me and for all At the wonderful At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree On that beautiful, scandalous night You and me were atoned by His blood on that beautiful scandalous night on the hillside you will be delivered at the foot of the cross justified and your spirit restored by the river that pours from our blessed Savior's side At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree On that beautiful, scandalous night You and me were atoned by His blood And forever washed 
of Jesus' death by cherishing the cross for what it symbolizes to us, the deep, relentless love of God that pursued us all the way to death and gives us the freedom from sin, from the burden of shame, the freedom to live. You may be seated. So how do we live in light of the resurrection? Well, we live with hope, confident hope. If Jesus had stayed in that grave, we would not be sitting here today. You realize that, right? Because the disciples would have been stuck in their sadness and confusion and despair. All their hopes and dreams of the kingdom of God that Jesus preached everywhere would have been left hanging on that cross with him. Jesus would have been just another false Messiah who promised everything and delivered nothing. But he didn't stay in the grave, did he? He rose again. He came alive again. He burst through those grave clothes into life. And he appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days. He ate with them and drank with them. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side, and he invited them to touch him. And he spoke about the kingdom of God again. And he promised to return to bring in its fulfillment. And because of that, the disciples were set on fire. Their sadness was turned to joy. Their fear was turned to boldness and power. And after Jesus had sent that promised Holy Spirit to indwell them and to enable them to carry his message to the ends of the earth, that's exactly what they did. And my friends, that is why... We are here because the disciples did their job. Do you remember way back in one of our earlier lessons when Jesus promised Peter and the other disciples in the boat with him that he would make them fishers of people? My sisters, that is, that's what we are. We're part of that great big catch of fish because Jesus came to life again and sent his spirit and the disciples came alive again and they boldly proclaimed the truth. And that is one of the evidences 
of the, the, one of the convincing proofs of the resurrection that it actually happened was this change in the disciples. Early legend says that they got out a map and they divided up the world into sections and then they cast lots to see who would go where. And, and, they, and they went and they suffered greatly for their faith. And in most cases, they died violent deaths because of it. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but most of the people who lived in the Roman Empire in the first century never heard of Jesus, hardly even heard of Jerusalem. It, it just, it was just, it, it didn't pervade that whole empire. But you know, just within three centuries, Christianity became the major and the official religion in that vast Roman Empire. Because Jesus is alive, the disciples were emboldened by hope and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the work of Jesus until he returns. And because he is alive, we too have hope. And by hope, I do mean certainty. I mean confidence that because Jesus was raised from the dead, not only are our sins forgiven, but we too will also be raised from death one day. This is the good news of the gospel. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians who were struggling with this idea of resurrection. And he was teaching them the importance of it when he wrote this. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. In other words, Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our own resurrection someday. When Jesus returns and sets foot on the Mount of Olives, in that moment, all the dead who are in Christ, those who have faith in Christ, will be raised from death to life. And we will have new bodies that will never grow old or get sick or die. And into what kind of world will we be raised to inhabit? Well... Throughout this whole study, we've been dreaming about the world that was lost in Genesis 3, right? But we're not going to get that world back as beautiful as it was. We're going to get a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. It's really hard to imagine. I have to admit that I, I kind of got tickled last week when Tiffany confessed that she hates musicals <laughs> because of the cheesy, you know, melodramatic songs that kind of play in your head for days and days. She's all about the story, and I agree, it's about the story. But I have to confess that when I began to think about our lesson this week, a really cheesy song came into my mind <laughs> that I used to dance around and, and sing in my house when I was about 12 years old. It was a song from the musical, West Side Story. Yeah. The story about two star-crossed lovers that are trapped in a culture of prejudice and domination and revenge. Some themes are just universal, aren't they? And so the song essentially asks, when will it stop? How will it stop? Where will it stop? 
Now, out of respect for Tiffany, I'm not going to play that cheesy music for you. <laughs> but I am going to read the poetry. Because the lyrics, I think, beautifully capture the imagination and the longing of every heart for the kingdom of God on the earth. So it goes like this. There's a place for us. Somewhere a place for us. Peace and quiet and open air wait for us somewhere. There's a time for us. Someday a time for us. Time together with time to spare. Time to learn. Time to care. Someday. Somewhere. We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a way of forgiving. Somewhere. These cheesy songs kill me. (laughs) There's a place for us. A time and place for us. Hold my hand and we're halfway there. Hold my hand and I'll take you there. Somehow, someday, somewhere. It may be cheesy, but I love this song because I believe it's the song that every soul sings. And this is why the story of Jesus resonates in our hearts. Because the somewhere is the kingdom of God. And the somehow is Jesus who brings it to fulfillment. And the someday... Well, Jesus has told us that it's not for us to know the hour or the day, but it is coming, it is certain, it is true, and we can trust it. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead confirms that everything he said and everything he claimed to be was absolutely true and trustworthy. Timothy Keller writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Since Jesus promised to return and establish God's kingdom, and since all the other prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled, how about we read to others with the clear expectation that what the prophets describe will in fact be what the world will be like when God's kingdom comes. So let's start with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11. The words are on the screen. In that day, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. I want to see that. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne. Yes, that's Jesus will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. I love that. Here's how the Apostle John saw the kingdom in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, 
from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. It's like he just can't quit saying he's going to be here. He's going to be with us, with us. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. The story of Jesus is the story of the eternal God who came to earth in human flesh in order to fulfill promises made long ago. Promises to redeem a people for himself with whom he would dwell forever in an ideal world. And if we have learned anything in this study, we have learned that all God's promises are fulfilled in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen. So I want us to pause now again and worship our Lord Jesus for the hope that we have because of his resurrection. We're going to sing about this happy day when our Christ was resurrected from the dead. Greatest day in history. Death is beaten. You have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out. Jesus is alive. He's alive. I stand in that place free at last meeting face to face I am yours Jesus you are mine endless joy and perfect peace earthly pain finally will cease celebrate Jesus is alive sing it out he's alive
happy day you wash my sin away oh happy day happy day i'll never be the same oh happy day happy day yes you wash my sin away oh happy day happy day i'll never be the same no no come on forever i am changed sing i'll never be the same be the same because Jesus turned the rug away around <laughs> he turned the rug around not just in history but also in our personal lives if we have trusted in him to live in the light of his death is to live in freedom to live the lot in the light of his resurrection is to live with hope and until he comes again we are to live with a singular purpose one of my favorite Jesus stories is in Mark 5 I hope you remember it, where Jesus healed the man possessed by the demon, and then he told him to go and tell how much the Lord had done for him. The beauty of Jesus is that he weaves us into the story of redemption. We are why he came. Each of us, if we have put our faith in Jesus, has a unique story to tell. It may not be dramatic, but it sings of God's mercy and grace of, of redemption, God's power to restore and to redeem us who were lost because of our sin. And then God uses our story to bring other people into the wonderful story of redemption. That's why Jesus' final words to his disciples were to go and tell others so that they too could live in the freedom and the hope and the purpose that he offers. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so I think it's only fitting to end our study of Jesus by beginning to tell what he has done for us. I'm going to have you all preach the rest of the sermon. <laughs> I would like for you just to spend about five minutes in your group sharing with one another what Jesus has done for you, what he has come to mean to you, maybe in the course of this study. Hopefully something you've learned uh, in this study has uh, impacted your life in some way. And then I'm hoping several of you will be able just to stand and, and take a minute or two to share that with the rest of us. So go ahead and, and talk about that in your groups and I'll call us uh, back together um, to share as a group. Okay, well, we could probably talk all day about Jesus and what he means to us and what he's done for us, but I'm hoping that several of you will be bold and uh, just share with us a little something um, about what you've been talking about today, something he's taught you, something that he means to you. So um, who would like to start? We've got a couple of mics. Uh, okay, uh, Tiffany and Lindsay will be around, so just raise your hand, and, uh, and then we'll come to you. So starting over here. Um, I'm 
Lauren Geppert. And hold the mic really close so we can all hear. Thank okay, you. Thanks. Um, I'm Lauren Geppert. And um, about nine years ago, I was a student at A&M in College Station, and I met a family through a ministry that I was involved in, um, a mom, a very young single mom, and her three sons. Um, and I've just stayed close to them through the years, mentored the boys the whole time. Um, and currently, my husband and I live in Coppell, and we have twin year-and-a-half-old boys. Um, yeah, so we're a little crazy. Um, and in September, this past September, the middle of Bible City, uh, their mom gave me a call and said that she was out of housing options and didn't have a next step for the boys, uh, who are all teenagers now, and asked if my husband and I could take them in to keep them involved in you know, school consistently and while she got back on her feet. And so we immediately said yes, um, and then realized we probably should have prayed about it first, but <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but God has just been so abundantly faithful to us um, through the last almost two months now that we've had five children. Um, and my husband turned 30 yesterday, so <laughs> we have five children. Um, <laughs> um, but God just very gently revealed to me all of the pride that I didn't know that I had. Um, yeah, we can have five kids. We have all of this to provide for them. We can do it. We got it. We can absolutely handle it. Um, and God just showed me that I don't have it um, in any way, uh, but he has it, and he is doing this uh, through our family and through our community. And uh, the, through women's ministry, uh, Tiffany and all the ladies, and then my husband and I had also signed up for a foundation because we had a free fall, and oh, wait. Um, <laughs> and so through those two ministries, God has just met every single need. Most of the time before we even knew we had it. Um, he's just been so faithful to us um, and provided food, clothing, um, rides, mentors, um, a community. He's shown his love in such tangible ways, um, not only to the boys, but also to, to me and my husband. We have never felt more loved in our lives. Um, so I've just been very encouraged by um, Peter and his not always, you know, following the path that looking back we think he should have followed. Um, he didn't do it all perfectly, but God used him and met his every need. So um, thank you all for those of you who have contributed to our crazy tribe. Um, and thank you, Alice, for leading us through this amazing Thanks. study. Amen. Thank you so much. The life that Jesus calls us to is not easy, and I love it that you're living in the way of the kingdom and finding that he is providing all that you need. Thank you for that. Who else would like to share? I really enjoyed the details in this study because having been raised in the church, I knew all the, the big stuff. But I like the way the study led us step by step. And last week, the study on the Lord's Supper was, was kind of an aha moment, you know, why everything Jesus said that night was so significant, and, and I'd had it memorized, and I was like, yeah. But, but then when Alice would lead you step by step, then I got what he was really saying about his blood, that he was, he was replacing something. And it, it had meaning for them, and now it has more meaning for me. And then on a more personal note, um, not so much through the study, but while the study was going on, I was stricken with a very serious neurological illness, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which 
<clears throat> if not diagnosed early, can lead to total paralysis and months and months of uh, hospital time and recovery. And by God's grace and through a lot of prayers of my sisters in here, uh, I was only in the hospital for nine days and I only missed two weeks of Bible study. Um, and so I stand here restored, a, bit, um, a recipient of a miraculous healing. And so what I learned is that, that uh, Jesus is very personal and um, it's so easy to pray for others, but when you're the one he's looking at and you're the one he's healing and you're hearing medical professionals say, nobody gets well this fast. Um, it's life-changing. It's life-impacting. So for those of you that knew about it and prayed and sent notes and cards, thank you very much. I, I love how Jesus is uh, alive and working in our midst. He still is powerful to heal on our behalf. He doesn't always choose to. And um, we are delighted when he does. And when he doesn't, we cling to who he is. He is God. He came in flesh. And he is with us. One of the things I love is that he's promised to never leave us or forsake us no matter what we go through. He is there. He is with us. Anyone else? Last chance? Oh, I see some. Oh, Barb. I, I have appreciated uh, this entire study. Um, I guess particularly that it it's, was named Fulfilled. I, ever since I became a believer and started to study the word, I've, I've just um, been so amazed at recognizing that things were said thousands of years ago by people who knew nothing about what they were talking about in some cases. I mean, words about the crucifixion, which didn't even really exist back then, and so many um, sovereignly spoken words uh, that were fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And um, it, it gives me such hope for the future. Um, you know, the things that have happened recently in our country and, and even for me and us on a personal level with uh, uh, the accident our son was in and the confusion and difficulty surrounding all of that, life has felt very unsteady and um, I have walked through a lot of confusion and um, pain, really. And then, you know, it's your own life, but then you feel it all around you, and it's like the earth is shaking somehow. And um, coming back to the, you know, all of this and seeing God's perfect timing and bringing it all about, every single thing he said would happen, did happen, it just, um, I think it has caused me to have, you called it hope, Alice. It's not like uh, maybe this is going to happen or whatever. It's the confidence that what he also has said about the future will come to pass at just the right time in his perfect way. And I feel the earth settling down a little bit for me um, as I go forward. It doesn't mean that anything in my personal life changed. Um, because there's still a very unsteady future out there. We don't know what will happen with our son or how you know, his healing will go. Or We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what will happen when we walk out the door. But um, there's a certainness to life now, I feel like, because 
We've come this far and yeah. we saw things happen that God said would happen and they did. Yeah. And I feel like I can get up in the morning and go forward mm -hmm. into whatever else is out there because he will do that too. He will bring his kingdom and his son will come. And just as surely as all of the things he said before uh, were gonna happen did. So it's just, a, it's been like an exclamation on, um, an exclamation point at the end of a, a long sentence, um, and and as we look into the future, there's all these question marks. But I feel like actually at the end of those is also an exclamation point because he's coming back. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you all for sharing your tables, for sharing here. Uh, this is what we do until he comes again. We tell the story, and so I'd like for us to end our time together with uh, one more song. And uh, that just reminds us of who we are and, and uh, how we live going forward. Yes, let's stand one more time. Take these hands. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can. Be useful beauty in your perfect plan. Oh, I am is yours. And take these feet. I know they stumble, but you use the weak. You use the humble, so please use me. Oh, I am is yours. I give you all my life, I'm letting it go, a living sacrifice, no longer my own, all I am is yours, all I am is yours. And take this heart. On fire shining in the dark. I want to tell the world of who you are. All I am is yours. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice. No longer my own. All I am is yours. All I I belong 
Turn the rug around so we can live in freedom and we can live in hope and we can live with purpose. And to help you remember the story of Jesus and the fact that he fulfilled and, and will fulfill the promise to come, we have a small gift for you to take home. In the basket on your table, there's a, a printed card with the verse from 1 Corinthians 1.20 on it. And it, it says, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Feel free to take it and frame it, put it on your mirror, put it on your desk uh, to remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story of redemption and you are part of that story. He is with you until the very end of the age. Don't forget to uh, sign up for Rejoice. The tickets are being sold out there and y'all have a wonderful holiday season and thank you all for everything you've done in this study.